Amen. All right. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. While they receive the offering, we're going to go ahead and dive into the Word this morning. Um, 1 Samuel 17 is where we're going to be. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, you're going to want one. You're going, to, you're going to want one. There's a blue Bible underneath the seat you are sitting in. You can just reach down there. You can grab that. And 1 Samuel 17 is on page 266 in the blue Bible. Um, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit in that chapter. We're not going to read the whole thing. It's a very, very long chapter, long story. And it's a story that most of you know. In fact, all of you at some point, I would, I would be willing to bet a large sum of money um, that all of you have heard this story at least once in your life. It's one of the most famous stories ever told in the history of the world. Um, and so for some of us, we may approach it and think, oh, I know this story, and so I don't really need to listen. But I believe that, that every single time we approach the Word of God, that there's something fresh in there for us, that God has not revealed all things to us. And in, in each time we approach it, even as I've approached it this week, something was revealed to me, and I was like, man, I've never seen that before. I never thought about that before. Um, and I'm excited to share that with you uh, this morning. And so the story is the story of David and Goliath. The story of David and Goliath. How do you preach through 1 Samuel without preaching through David and Goliath. And so we're going we're gonna to look at this story together. But before we dive into the story, uh, just a reminder from last week. Last week, Binger was here, and Binger preached on uh, chapter 16. And in chapter 16, um, David, right, as a young boy, teenage kid, is anointed king privately. Uh, God says to Samuel, I want you to go find David. I want you to anoint him as king. Long story short, he's anointed as king. He is made king before God. But before the people, before the nation of Israel, David is not king. He is not king. Saul is king. Saul is still the reigning, ruling king. But David is the king in God's eyes. Saul is the king in the people's eyes. And so if you were there in the nation of Israel, if you could go back in time and you said, hey, who is the reigning king? They'd say, King Saul. And you say, well, what about King David? They'd say, Who's David? What are you talking about? I don't know any David, right? But in the eyes of God, David is the king. This is important to our story. We'll come back to that later. So here's how the story takes place. In chapter 17, the, the Israelites begin to go to war with the Philistines. They prepare for battle. And they gather together in a valley called Sukkot. The Valley of Sukkot is a massive, massive valley where tens of thousands of soldiers could stand on the hill on one side. Tens of thousands of soldiers could stand on the hill on the other side. And a battle line is drawn right down the center of the valley. And that's where they're going to fight this great fight. And so they, they, they chant the war chants and they bang the drums and they, they, they line up for battle. They're ready to go. And as the story goes, from the Philistine side of the valley comes a man and he walks to the middle of the valley and his name is Goliath it reads this way in verse 4 if you're following along there came out of out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath that word champion in the Hebrew does not exist there's no word for champion in the Hebrew what the word is uh, in the Hebrew is the one in between there comes a man in between how do you translate that? It doesn't make any sense, right? So they're like, well, he's, a, he's the champion, right? He's the man in between. What it means is, is that he's the middle man. He's the man that stands in the middle of this valley. He's the mediator of the Philistine army. He comes forth 
the mediator, the middleman, the one in between. He stands in between the two armies. And he, and he yells, he cries out, give me a man to fight. You, you, Israel, you give me your best man. Have him come forth and I'm going to fight him. We will fight to the death. And here's the deal. If I lose, if your man can kill me, the Philistine army will lay down their weapons and they'll surrender and they'll become your slaves. But if I win, if I defeat your man, you lay down your weapons and you become our slaves. Now this is a common practice in the day. This is not abnormal. This would have been a normal thing for armies to do this. What the Philistines realize is that if they engage in this battle and if they even win the battle, they're going to lose. If they win the battle, the, the numbers are too great. They're, the number, they're counting the cost. They realize we're going to lose so many guys that we're going to be exposed to other warring nations around us. And so let's put out a middleman, a mediator, who will go in on our behalf. We'll sacrifice one person. We have confidence in him. We believe that he can win. And they'll bring their best guy. And that's where it's going to settle this. And we'll only lose, at best, we only lose one guy. And we can gain all of these other soldiers and we'll bring them into our army. It's a, it's a great tactic. But no one from the Israelite side comes. They're all afraid. They're afraid because this man, Goliath, is gigantic. He's the biggest and strongest man on the battlefield. He is a battle-hardened soldier. He has never lost. This is not the first time Goliath has stepped forth and offered himself as the mediator, as the champion, the middleman. This is not the first time this has happened. He's never lost. He's never lost. And so they're afraid. For 40 days, for 40 days this goes on. They, they muster for battle. They, they line up in their, in their, in their, in their regiments and, and they bang the drums and they chant the cries. And Goliath steps forth. Give me a man to fight me. No one comes forth for 40 days. This goes on for so long that the soldiers begin to run out of provisions. And so David, who's at home with his dad, Jesse, his brothers are there. They're on the front lines. And Jesse says to his son, David, his youngest boy, the, the one who's too young to go and fight in this, in this army, he says, I want you to bring these, this food to your brothers and bring these fine cheeses to their commander. And so David goes, long story short, he brings the food. And as he's bringing the food, they're going out to battle. And so he leaves the food and he goes to the front lines and out comes Goliath. And Goliath does the same song and dance, the same chant. He's, he makes fun of Israel. He makes fun of their God. He, he belittles them. He says, give me a man to come and fight me. Give me one man. And David's like, why aren't you guys going? Why, why is nobody stepping up? Why, why is nobody, this guy's dishonoring the nation of Israel. Why is nobody, why is nobody going out there? At this point, Saul is a result of bribing people. Saul has said, I'll give you my most beautiful daughter. I'll make you rich, and you'll never have to pay taxes again. It's an amazing deal, and no one will do it. David's like, I don't understand. And word of David gets back to Saul. So Saul calls David in before him, and he says, not what I thought you were going to be. Like David is this teenage kid. What Saul says, he says, man, you can't go fight him. You're just, you're just a little kid. You're, you're a teenage boy. Like, this guy's a massive war machine. Like you, you can't fight him. It's not going to work out for you. But Saul is so unbelievably desperate that David says, no, 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 I can get him. And Saul goes, 
okay. And so Saul dresses David in his armor. This reveals how desperate he is for 40 days. He doesn't know what he's to do. He's so afraid. He puts David in his armor. David, David's so small, so young, he can't even move around in it. He's just like, I can't wear this. And so David takes a staff and his, and his sling and five stones, and Saul's like, I'm desperate, so okay. It's like, in what, in what, what, what person's right mind would they do this? And he sends David out, and David, with a stick, a sling, and five stones, steps into the middle of the battlefield and approaches Goliath. This is an amazing story, and really the way that it's structured, the way that Samuel writes this story, is it's a comparison and contrast between the two people in the story. Goliath is the first one. He, he lists and describes Goliath in detail, which is, a, which is a weird and rare thing in Hebrew literature. To be described, what you're wearing and how much things weigh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. But then he goes on and he describes David. And it's, he compares and contrasts the two. And what, what we're meant to see is, is a simple thing. Is that there's an obvious choice in this. If you, if you were, if, if I said, alright, we're going to have a cage match to the death. And your family's life depends on it. Which it does, right? They're going to be enslaved to the Philistines. It's not going to go well for them. No telling what the Philistines are going to do to these men. No telling what they're going to do to their wives. No telling what they're going to do to their children. It's not going to be well if they lose to Goliath. And so we're going to have a cage match. And your family's life depends on it. Right? And in one corner we have a massive hulking war machine. And in the other corner we have a little teenage kid. Who are you going to pick? Not your question. Come on. Who are you going to pick? Come on, you're not going to pick the teenage kid. You're going to pick Goliath. Don't lie. You're going to pick Goliath. This is like a no-brainer. Listen, when you're in a playground as a little kid and you, and you get picked to be the team captain, right? You're not looking at all the kids and you're like, who's like the skinniest, weakest, most unathletic kid Oh, he's in the back. Yeah, you in the back. You, I want you to come and be on my team first. Like, that's not your first pick. That kid's in the back because he knows he's always picked last. You pick the, the most athletic, the tallest, the strongest, the fastest, the best athlete there is. That's who you pick. It's a no-brainer. This is what we do in all areas of our lives. Every day, when we approach things that cause us to be afraid, when we're not sure if we're going to be able to succeed... We're not sure if we're going to be good enough. We gravitate towards Goliath. I want a Goliath to attach myself to, or I want to become like a Goliath where I can get the job done. This is what we gravitate to. Look at, look at the comparison contrast. So the first thing that we see is just simple, the appearance of Goliath. I read part of this verse a minute ago, verse 4. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. Now, I didn't read this part whose height was six cubits in a span. Literally translated, nine feet, nine inches tall. Nine feet, nine inches tall. Now, I know there's a lot of debate around how tall Goliath actually was. I read some Jewish scholars that say he was in the eight-foot range. I read other Jewish scholars that say he's in the seven-foot range. And then the original, kind of the earliest manuscripts that we have of 1 Samuel, the earliest ones that we have, um, say that he was somewhere between 6'4 and 6'8". So you have this, like, this broad spectrum of heights. It's kind of like, what's going on here? Well, the reality is stories like this 
tend to grow a bit over time. It's like that fish you caught when you were a kid, right? It's just grown a little bit since you caught that fish. The, the reality is, is that here's what we can know for sure. On that day, in the middle of that battlefield, Goliath, with tens of thousands of soldiers on either side, Goliath was the biggest man. He's the biggest man. He was the strongest, the fastest, the toughest. He was not a, he was not a literal giant, okay? Again, when we teach this story to our kids, we talk about David killing a giant. He's not a little giant. Like when I think giant, like I think minimum 20 feet tall. Like when I think of like the big friendly giant, he's got to be at least 20 feet tall. When I think of like the giants in the Lord of the Rings, minimum 20 feet, okay? That, that's a giant, okay? Like this, this, is a, this is a human being who is extremely massive, right? He, he's an offensive tackle in the NFL. He is, he is agile, he's quick, he's sharp, but he's also gigantic, right? He can destroy you. Like, this is, this is who he is. And then you have David on the other side. Look at verse 33 if you're following along. Saul says to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, a teenager, and he has been a, I love this line, a man of war from his youth. Saul says to David, listen, you are a scrawny little kid. Goliath has been a battle-hardened man since he was a kid. When I was in high school, I was on the football team. Wasn't, wasn't the best player on the team, but I was on the football team. And we had, we had a kid who transferred in. It was my, um, it was my f- sophomore year. He transferred in from another school because he got kicked out of that school. He got kicked out of that school. And this kid was just rough. His name was Josh Bridges. And as a high schooler, he was a grown man. Like he had male pattern baldness as a high schooler. In high school, like he, was just a, he was just like an abnormal creature. He was just like, you did not, I didn't even want to stare him in the eye. I just, just avoided, like, avoided uh, contact with him at all costs. Like, he was just a scary, imposing guy. And what Saul is saying is, David, you're a normal just kid. You're normal, you know, you're great, but you're just a normal little kid. This guy, when he was a kid, he was gigantic. And he's been fighting these battles since he was a boy. And he's never lost. This is not Goliath's first round. He's been doing this for a very long time. And he's still alive. He's never lost one of these things. Like you just don't know what you're getting yourself into. And so when we look at the two, you look at the stature of Goliath and the stature of David, it's a no-brainer. All day long, if your life depends on it, you are going to pick Goliath. Guaranteed. And in our own lives, we do this all the time. We want to attach ourselves or be the person who looks a certain way who dresses a certain way, right? When you go into a job interview, you don't wear sweatpants and a tank top and flip-flops. You, you just don't. You go in wearing the nicest suit that you have so that you can declare to everyone there, I can get the job done. I, I'm a person who can accomplish things. I can do. I, I, I will get the job done. That's who I am. Look at, look at how good I look, right? Some of, some of us starve ourselves to just be skinny enough some of us go to the gym every single day to bulk up so that we can be, look good enough. We can be big enough that people will be impressed by us. 
be impressed by the way we look. We spend thousands of dollars on makeup and, and hair products and all kinds of crazy things so that we will look good enough that we can be, look like a person who can get the job done. I can do it. I can achieve. I can be the one. And we're attracted to those types of people. We want to attach ourselves to those types of people. When you're, if you're in the position where you get to hire somebody, you're not going to hire the person who comes in in the sweatpants and flip-flops. He's not. I want to hire the one who looks presentable, looks like they can get the job done. In our everyday lives, we choose Goliath. We choose Goliath. When we're looking for a spouse, we choose Goliath. When we're looking for a boss or a coworker, we choose Goliath. When we're looking for friends, we choose Goliath. This is just our natural bent. The next thing we see is this. We can suppress our fear and our inadequacies and our possessions. Goliath has all the gear. Look at verse 5. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. There's a lot of things there, but there's really three things that Goliath has. He has the latest and greatest stuff. Very few people on the battlefield have what Goliath had. We read later in a minute, we're going to see that King Saul had a bronze helmet. The king of a nation has a bronze helmet. Most of the guys on the battlefield don't even have helmets. Goliath has a bronze helmet. Helmet. He has, he has this coat of mail, this, this armor that weighs approximately 128 pounds. Now you got to wrap your mind around that a little bit. I love to go backpacking. That's something that I love to do. I love to get out into nature and, uh, and spend multiple days getting as far away from, um, from people and civilization as I possibly can. I, I love it. And I've gone on some extended trips, some long trips. Where we've carried 50, 60 pounds over the course of a week. And it's just, it's just too much to bear, really. Like in 60 pounds, you're trying to eat all your food on the first day so that you don't have to carry it anymore. Like you're just miserable. It's miserable. This guy's carrying over twice that. He's like, let's go, let's go hand-to-hand combat. Like I can't imagine. I can't imagine trying to fight somebody with 60 pounds on my back, let alone 128 pounds. Goliath is jacked, and he has this unbelievable armor. He has a spear. And the head of that spear weighs somewhere between 15 and 20 pounds. It's made out of iron, which was actually a new thing in that day. It didn't, didn't exist very well. There's nobody else on the battlefield on the Israelite side carrying an iron spear. It just, they just didn't have the technology. But Goliath has this massive iron spear. Can you imagine trying to throw something that weighs 15 to 20 pounds on the end of a stick? Like, you're just going to go straight into the ground. You're not going to get it. Like, the biggest guy in this room, I'm not to put anybody down, but you're just not going to get it very far. He's not going to go very far. And Goliath is able to wield this thing in battle. It's unbelievable. And then he has a, an armor bearer, a shield bearer, who's carrying the rest of his gear. He's got so much gear, he needs another guy to carry the rest of his gear. He's got all of the technology. He's got everything at his disposal. He is the special ops of the Philistines. And then you have David, verse 38. Saul, the king, clothed David with his armor, his own armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. 
And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried to go in vain, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, his shepherd's staff, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Once again, friends, who are you going to pick? The guy that's got all of the tech and all of the latest armor, and he's just, he's just decked out with so much armor that he can't even carry it all. Or, or the kid who's got a stick and a sling. He's like living in the Stone Age, literally. Like, who are you going to choose? It's a no-brainer. You're going to choose Goliath. And we do the same thing. We do the same thing in our everyday lives. Look at what I have. Look at my accolades. I'm a person who gets things done. Look at all my trophies. I can accomplish great things. Look at the house that I've been able to afford. I'm clearly a person who, who can achieve things. Look at the car that I drive. I'm per- clearly a person who can do it. I can do it. And we're attracted to those types of people, people who can do it. That's who we want to be around. We attach ourselves to those who have the best and the latest stuff. Because it gives us this image, whether it's right or wrong, it gives us this picture that they can achieve. They, they can get the job done. We want to be like Goliath. We want to have Goliaths in our lives. When we go into battle, whether it's in work or in family, whatever it may be, in our everyday lives, we want to be like Goliath. We want the latest and the greatest stuff so that we can be, have the appearance of one who can conquer. The last piece of this, and there's more, but we're going to do one more. We can bury our fear and our inabilities in our own pride. Look at Goliath in verse 8. He stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? I don't even understand why you're here. Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Goliath exudes an unbelievable confidence in himself. You think that I can't do this? Let me assure you, I can do it. Give me a shot. Give me a chance, and I will prove to you that I can dominate. He walks out in confidence. And then you see David, on the other hand. David, when he stands before Goliath in verse 45, he says to the Philistine, he says to the Goliath, you come, with, with me to, with, you come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. David says, I bring nothing to the table. I got nothing. He doesn't talk about his sweet shepherd's stick or sling or his awesome rocks he found, how smooth they are. He doesn't talk about them. I have nothing. I come in the name of the Lord. Now, for those of us in the room who are followers of Jesus, which I know is most of us, but not all of us, this time you'd say, no, 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 Josh, I would side with David. Because that's what you're supposed to say. Like, D- David's our guy. Like, that's the guy that we want on our team. The guy that, that chooses to, to be obedient to the Lord and comes to the Lord. But do you? 
Like Monday through Saturday, is that the person that you are drawn to? Is that the person that you are attaching yourself to? Or is it the person who's confident in himself? Right now we're getting ready. We're, we, were, we just got our ballots in the mail for our pre-election stuff here in Bountiful. Who are you voting for? Do you, when it comes to politics, do we attach ourselves to the person who is, who is confident and can, can give an eloquent argument and, and, and win debates? Or do we attach ourselves to the person who, when they, it's time for them to debate, they're just like, ah, I don't know what to say. Like they, they clam up and they're afraid and they're scared. Who do we attach ourselves to? The one who's self-confident. The one who can stand before people and be confident and bold. For those of us who are single, right? Confidence is an attractive thing in the opposite sex. When we're thinking about marriage and we're thinking about dating, we're attracted to confidence. Somebody who believes in themselves and can accomplish great things. And we are attracted to that type of person. In our places of work, we're attracted. We want a, we want a boss who's confident who we believe in, we believe because he believes that he can do it, he can get the job done, or she can do it, she can get the job done. We're attracted to that type of person in all areas of our life. We either want to be or we want to attach ourselves to someone who is self-confident. Even in the church, when you look at the largest churches in the United States, I'm talking about churches of 15, 20,000 people, at the helm of all of them is a man who is extremely self-confident. We're attracted to that. We attach ourselves to that. That's who I want to be with. I want a Goliath in my life. And when we don't have a Goliath, when we don't have someone who has it all together and somebody who um, is, we're not sure if they can get the job done and if we're not sure we can get the job done, we can't attach ourselves to them or we can't become like them. Like we are afraid. The, the, out the response of not having a Goliath is fear. Look at King Saul and the nation of Israel in verse 11. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were dismayed. They were so overwhelmed by their fear, they literally, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do. They were confused by fear, uncertain by fear. What are we going to do? We don't have a Goliath. We don't have anybody in our ranks that stands a chance against this God. Our result in our own lives is fear. When we feel like we're inadequate, when we feel like we can't get it done, when we feel like, I, I don't know if the person that I'm following can get it done. I don't, I don't know if the person in charge of my organization or my thing can get it done. We begin to get afraid. We do all kinds of crazy things in our fear. We've talked about this over the past few weeks. When the fear of man increases, the fear of God decreases. And when the fear of God decreases, sin abounds. We do all kinds of crazy things out of fear. And we spend our lives trying to find our Goliaths. Marvel understands this. Marvel Comics. In the past few years, and, and since they began making these, the, the, the Avengers movies, they've made $17.5 billion because they know this idea. That we want to be the hero or we want to be able to attach ourselves to the hero. The Hulk the Iron Man, the Goliath, that's who we want to be. That's what we want to be attached to. We want that person to be fighting our battles for us. That seems like the logical idea. It is the logical idea, but it's the wrong choice. We know it's the wrong choice because Goliath loses, right? It would be the wrong choice. And David knows it's the wrong choice. David understands that what he needs is not a Goliath, 
to attach himself to or to become. He needs a God who has no need for Goliath. What David understands is that we spend our days trying to become like or attach ourselves to a Goliath-like figure in our lives. But what we need is not a Goliath that's going to let us down. We need a God who has no need for a Goliath. David declares this when he faces Goliath, when he stands before him. In verse 46, David is speaking to Goliath. He says this. He says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I'll strike you down, and I'll cut off your head. And I'll give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the, and to the wild beasts of the earth. And here it is, ready? That, why, why is this going to happen? That all the earth, everyone, everywhere, for all time, may know that there is a God in Israel. And, and that all this assembly, everybody gathered here today, everybody who hears this story throughout all of history, you and me, they would know that the Lord saves. Not with a sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hand. And David runs forward. He slings the stone. It hits Goliath right in the head. It sinks into his head. He collapses to the ground. David pulls Goliath's own sword. He chops off his head. It's amazing. All of this, all of this, this massive chapter, this famous story, all so that you may know that God saves. Not in the normal way, not with swords and spears, not in the predictable way, not in the Goliath way, the way that we would choose, the way that we do choose. That's not how he saves. He saves in the, in the least likely way, in the, in the most unpredictable way. He, he saves in a way that we have a hard time understanding. You see, our Savior is one who is hard to understand because we spend our days trying to find a different type of Savior. You see, David is a, what we call a type of Christ. And a type is one who, who emulates, who, who points us to a, a picture of, a portrait, a vignette of what the Savior, the true Savior, God's chosen Savior, Christ, will be like. I said at the beginning of this, he is fully king in the eyes of God, but not at all in the eyes of man. When Jesus shows up on the scene, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords from the moment of his birth and before the moment, before the beginning of time, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But to the people, he's just a, he's just a carpenter from Bethlehem. He's just a poor kid from a small little town. Caesar's king, the ruling and reigning emperor of the world, Caesar, not, not Christ, not Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth is just a poor little carpenter, son of Mary and Joseph, no big deal. But in the eyes of God, he is the king of kings. Goliath steps forth in battle as this undefeated champion of the Philistines. No one has ever been able to defeat him ever in the history of the world. No one has ever been able to stop him. And when we look to sin, and we see the greatness of sin, and we look at humanity, and we say, where is the champion? Who is going to defeat sin? Not one man, not one woman in the entire history of the world has ever been able to stand up and defeat sin. 
No one has ever lived a blameless, sinless life. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Even this week you've sinned, you've hurt people in your life or they've hurt you. We've sinned. This is an unstoppable, massive foe and we're all afraid of sin. We cower in fear. We wish we had a Goliath that could stop it, but we don't have a Goliath. We have the most unlikely one. We have one that steps forth from the ranks of humanity. He steps forth. And on the cross, Jesus defeats sin. In his death and his resurrection, he defeats sin. And just as the victory was imputed, the David's victory was imputed to the, to the army of Israel that day. They all get to celebrate. They all get to party. They all get to join in. And it was Saul defeated the Philistines. What did they do? What did they do to defeat the great Philistine army? Nothing. They didn't do anything. They just showed up. They got dressed. That's about it. They didn't do anything. In the same way, we do nothing to defeat sin. Our victory over sin, it is our victory. We are victorious over sin. You, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, you've given your life to him, you treasure him above all things, you are victorious over sin. What did you do to become victorious over sin? Nothing. The work was completed by Christ alone through his death and his resurrection. He died in our place and he rose again as the conquering king over sin and over death. And we get to, that, that victory is imputed onto me. It's imputed onto you as a follower of Jesus. We get to share in that. We get to glory in that. All the glory and the honor and praise of God is now shared with us, his saints in Christ. It's an amazing work. And so we don't need to attach ourselves or become like a Goliath. I don't need to, to have the, the latest and greatest stuff. I have the grace of Christ. I don't need to look a certain way. I'm clothed in his righteousness. I, I don't need to create some, some accolades or, or be this super confident person. I have grace every day, every moment of my life. There is grace over my failures. And as I stumble and as I fall, as I trip through this life and I trip over my own stupidity again and again and again, I'm covered in his grace. I have nothing to boast in because he's accomplished everything already. He's accomplished something far greater than my greatest achievements. He is greater. And my greatest accolades, his grace and his mercy over my life is greater. His grace and mercy over your life is greater. This is the type of king that we need. This is the type of savior that we need. May his kingdom come in your life. May it rule over your life. May you walk in this grace. May you walk in this mercy. May you walk in his glory. No longer fearing your lack of a Goliath, knowing that you have a God who's greater than any Goliath, who has no need for a Goliath. The last piece of this, this is the thing that stuck out to me this week that I'd never seen before. In that same verse, verse 47, when David says to Goliath, that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword or spear, he says this, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. It's an interesting follow-up to the previous line. He says, no, 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 listen, I'm doing this so that, those that the all, everybody here, everybody whoever hears this story will know that God saves, the Lord saves, not in the normal way with sword and spear, and he doesn't go on to say, but he saves with grace. 
That would be true, and that would be right. He doesn't go on to say, but he, and he saves with mercy. That would be true, and that would be right. He doesn't go on to say he saves in the most unlikely way by sending his son. Or I mean, he doesn't say he saves through the underdog. Those things would be true, but that's not what he says. He doesn't describe how he saves. He describes how he doesn't save. And he says, for the battle belongs to him. Like, he's not just the victor. He's not just the winner of the battle. He's the owner of the battle. You've you got to wrap your mind around that for a second. Because it changes everything. I don't know what kind of battle you are in at the moment. For me personally and for my family, it's been a long, hard month. It's been a brutal month. We've had to endure several very, very, very hard things over the past four weeks. And I'm not saying woe is me. I read the prayer request every single week. I know several of you in the room are going through even harder things, whether it's a health issue or something in your family or, or something in your career, in your work, some of us in the room are going through unbelievably difficult seasons. I don't know what your battle looks like that you're in right now. Maybe you're in an amazing season. You're like, no, no, Josh, everything's great. Hear me, you're getting ready for one. It's coming. And I want to encourage you with this word, the battle belongs to the Lord. David understands this simple truth. There's not one thing that is going to happen in your life. Not one moment that's going to happen. There's not one thing that's going to come to you. That the God of all things is not sovereignly in control of. That he does not own and possess. There's not one speck of dust that blows across the parking lot. That he does not control. There's not one thing in my life that he is outside of his control. He's never been surprised by something that's happened to me or something that's happened to you. He's never been shocked by that. He is the owner of the battle. It belongs to him. Every moment of it, the pain that we endure is meaningful because it belongs to the one who is turning all things for the good of those who love him. And if we can just endure by clinging to Christ rather than chasing Goliaths, it will be for our good. And we will share in the victory of Christ. As, as Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy, those who endure will also reign with him. 2 Timothy chapter 2. So my challenge to you, my encouragement to you, friends, is wherever you are, whatever you're getting ready to go into, whenever you find yourself in the moment when you feel like everything is against you, it belongs to the king of kings. The one who's already secured the victory is the one who is the ruler of all things in your life. Follow him, cling to him, love Jesus more than you love anything in this world. Know him, draw near to him. Know the God who has no need for a Goliath. Do not pursue strength in the things of this world. Pursue your strength in him alone. Let me pray for us. Why don't you guys do this? Why don't you guys go ahead and stand? I'm going to pray for us and I'll dismiss us at the same time. Father, watch over the men and women in this room. Jesus, draw near to them. Give them more of yourself this week. May you help them to see and identify the areas of their lives where they are afraid, where they are experiencing fear. And in those areas, might you help them to see how they are pursuing things that they think are going to bring them security, that they think are going to bring them um, strength. 
You are not in those things. Let's be people who are not defensive. Let's be people who are not prideful. Let's be people who who do not find our security in the things of this world, but humble ourselves before the cross. We do not seek to defend our name or our honor or our glory or our praise, but because we know that our true honor, our true glory, and our true praise was earned on the death and resurrection of Christ, and we get to share in that. Not because we have done something, but because you have chosen us before the foundation of the earth. You chose us in grace and mercy. Let us walk in that truth. It's an easy thing to say. It's an easy thing to speak of. It's another thing to live in it. Give us the strength and the understanding to walk in that. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.